This is episode 44 with Dr. Rebecca Hirschberg. Hello, and welcome to the Love Yourself to Happiness show. We are your hosts, Maya and Michaela, and we are lifestyle strategists for moms. We absolutely love helping moms just like you to uplevel your lifestyle, mindset, career, and relationships, and helping you to fill your cup up so that you can be the best version of yourself and achieve anything that you want. Think of this podcast as your personal development tool where each week you'll get an infusion of tips, resources, and methods from our favorite leading experts that will inspire you to harmonize motherhood and become an empowered woman. All this information is free, so please subscribe to and review our podcast. We also want to invite you to join our free private Facebook group called Energized Mama Tribe. We are also offering a free masterclass, five steps to get 10 or more hours of purposeful time to harmonize motherhood and your personal identity. Lastly, We're offering free breakthrough calls with us to help implement the tools we teach you in the class. You can find all this information by visiting mayaandmichaela.com. So grab a cup of tea or coffee, sit back, and welcome to Love Yourself to Happiness show. Dr. Hirschberg is a NYS licensed clinical psychologist and founder of Little House Calls Psychological Services, specializing in helping parents navigate common early childhood challenges. She is also the author of Tantrum Survival Guide, Tune Into Your Toddler's Mind and Your Own to Calm the Craziness and Make Family Fun Again, due out from Guilford Press in October 2018. Dr. Hirschberg has held leadership positions at a national nonprofit organization and hospital-based infant and toddler preventative mental health program, has taught in the Department of Pediatrics at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, and has presented numerous seminars and workshops for parents, educators, and others who work with young children. She lives in Dobbs Ferry, New York, with her husband and two young sons who both keep her busier, though also smiling, more than any of the above. Hello, everyone. Today we have Rebecca Hirschberg with us here today. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So to start out, start out, we'd love to hear about how you got into the work that you do. So yeah, so that's a multi-stage question because it's been a journey, as I'm sure it is for everyone. Um, certainly, I would say I was one of those Um, anomalies where I kind of knew what I wanted to do really early on. Um, I didn't know what psychology was per se, but in high school even, I was just always interested in um, people's feelings and kind of what led them to do what they would do. And in history class, we'd be talking about some historical event and I'd be like, but I wonder like how they were feeling. You know, my teacher would be like, don't actually think that's what you need to know. But um, And so I was always kind of guided in that direction. And then child psychology certainly came from that once I started working with kids and learning more about kids. And then I would say there was a really important shift. I did my internship, um, which is the last stage when you get your doctorate in psychology. And I did my internship and then I stayed on at a city hospital at Bellevue Hospital in New York. And I worked in a program that involved the Administration for Children's Services, which is child welfare in New York City. And I was doing a lot of therapy and evaluations of kids that were in the foster care system. Um, And they were later child, so kind of starting at age 10 and then all the way up through the teenage years. And I just felt like we, someone needed to be working with these kids much younger, you know, like this was just like, I didn't want to see the 12 year old who had gotten pregnant. You know, I wanted to see the 12 year old when she was born to the mom, you know, like that there was just a way to interrupt this cycle. And so I realized then that I really wanted to do early childhood work and to focus on prevention and kind of the, the minimal amount of effort that you would need to do to really shift some of these things, which happens right when, when kids are born. Um, and so at that point, I started doing early childhood work um, within a hospital system in the Bronx in New York in pediatrics. And then, and I was working with really high risk um, 
high risk moms and kids mostly from really underserved high need communities and resource poor communities. And when I had my own kids, um, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And when I had my own kids, two things happened. One is I realized that emotionally I couldn't, I couldn't be the mom that I wanted to be to my own kids and work with that population. Um, my heart just couldn't, I don't want to say it didn't have that space. It just, but it couldn't, it was overloaded and I wasn't doing either the way that I wanted to. Um, and then also I realized like, wait a second, like, uh, every mom needs a lot of this work, you know, that this isn't, this is something that needs to be offered kind of across the board. And so I created this business, Little House Call Psychological Services, where I was working with um, not just moms, but dads too, new parents with infants, with toddlers, um, in more of a consultation model, you know, that it really wasn't about you know, you need 10 years of therapy to think about how your toddler's tantrums are triggering you. I mean, that's a piece of it for sure. But that a lot of the work was short term and parents with drive-by questions who ask their pediatricians everything under the sun and the pediatricians don't know half of the behavioral stuff or the emotional stuff. Um, and so that was where I felt like I could play an important role um, as kind of a supplemental caregiver at that time. And I, think, I think that gets us up to date. Yeah, I love that. And I actually, um, my kids, when they were real little up until just a year ago, my our pediatrician was a nurse practitioner, but her PhD was in pre and post mm. um, pediatric you know, development. So she had a, so she would do like sleep consults and, and those sort of things for the real young age. And that was definitely something that was so important. Yeah. And you're so lucky. Years. A yeah. lot of practices don't, ha I mean, it's starting to be that people are recognizing that um, it's holistic as you guys clearly know, you know, and that you have to address child health and mom health and dad health and family health and couple health and what, you know, and that this is how you deal with things that are early developmental challenges, um, sleep, behavior, so on and so forth. But it's, there's still a long road to travel to really get where right. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so nice to have that kind of a third party to have, have that knowledge and be kind of the middle person, especially if, if two parents don't necessarily agree on, an approach. And that happens a lot. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Cause you don't really talk about, you know, the way you're going to raise your kids a lot of times. Right. And when it comes to it, it's just kids probably get so confused, like feeling these different messages that they probably don't even know who they are or who they want to be. Right. Right. Or you do talk about it, but then in the moment, I mean, even with in my kids and I do this for a living, like I can talk to them blue in the face about what I think I would do and want to do in a certain situation. And then the situation happens and you get completely overcome with your own emotions or your own history, you know, or suddenly you sound exactly like your own mom and you had sworn you never would or, you know, like, um, and so I think, I think two things happen, Michaela. One is you're right. Like partners don't often talk about it until it happens. And then, and then the second thing is that even if they have, and they've answered all those questions, like in like premarital counseling and whatever, you know, then you're in the moment and life moves quickly and little kids even more so. And um, you just need some like in that moment guidance to get parents on the same page. Yeah. So, I'm sure this is what drove you to write your book, which I love the title is called The Tantrum Survival Guide. Tune into your toddler's mind and your own to calm the craziness and make family fun again. I love that. <laughs> Talk a little more about your book for us, please. Sure, I would love to. So my book, um, so I... It's actually, it's a, it's, it's a great story, though. I shouldn't say that because then expectations will be raised. But I, um, I was working with a ton of families who had kids with toddlers and tantrums was definitely the number one thing going through my door. And it was a lot of like, how do I deal with this? And a lot of like, my kid has the worst tantrums you've ever seen. I promise they're worse than any kids you've ever, you know, everyone thinks their kids are the worst. And I was actually, I mean, I, this was just something I was doing as part of my practice. And then my second son was born. And I was on maternity leave and I got a call from an editor 
who had read some articles that I'd written about this stuff online and asked me if I wanted to write a book. And I, meanwhile, like in the middle of pumping, you know, haven't washed my hair in, you know, at least a week. I've got a toddler running around and I'm like, write a book. Like, what are you, you know, like I can barely like brush my hair. (laughs) And, um, But I spoke with my husband and I, you know, and, and as you know, support is such a huge piece of this. I spoke with my husband, I spoke with close girlfriends and it was kind of like, this is an opportunity that's too good to turn down. And sure, you want me to write a book? Like, I'm going to believe that I can do it and I'm going to do it. Um, and it was very cool to be writing this book about how to be a centered, mindful, conscious parent and deal with tantrums while, while being in that stage of life. Um, and I ended up really combining my, my professional voice and my mom voice in a way that from what I hear from the early feedback is a pretty unique facet of the book, like the fact that both of those come together in a pretty seamless way. Um, so it's kind of like, here's all my, you know, quote unquote expert knowledge, but here's how I'm right here in the trenches and effed this up myself last night. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and the book itself talks a lot about how you need, you need a couple different things in order to handle tantrums effectively. You need to know where your, your child is at developmentally, like what's going on in the, in the brain. Um, start, you know, between 18 months and four years in a, what I think is a really clear, accessible way. You need to know your own stuff. Um, you need to know kind of the way that you were raised and your own hot button issues and what sets you off and where and when and like what is different if you're raising a child in a two-parent family, what is different about your triggers from your partners and sort of really recognizing that tantrums are interactions um, and not just something happening to your kid. So that's like the second, the second building block. And then the third building block is you need a whole set of concrete tools and strategies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the second half of the book is really like, here's 25 things you can do. And then I think the last three chapters are going to be particularly helpful for people because it's, it's, it's what to do in tricky places, what to do at tricky times of day and what to do in tricky circumstances. So it's like, what do you do at Target? You know, what do you do when you're trying to leave the house? What do you do at bedtime? What do you do at the playground? Like, it's like very nitty gritty. Um, What do you do at bedtime? (laughs) (laughs) Funny you should ask. No. (laughs) Um, Bedtime obviously comes up all the time. And I, I think I mean, there's a, obviously we could spend a whole hour talking about bedtime and I could ask you questions about like what your particular concerns are. But I think the theme that comes up most at bedtime with my clients is that bedtime represents like the end of the day that, and this really ties into your guys theme of self-care. Like it's somehow like I'm putting my kid to sleep at 7:30, and at 7:30 I can finally do something nice for myself and I can finally just breathe and relax. And that ends up putting so much pressure on that moment and so much pressure on your little one who can start to feel like a half an hour before, like my mom's done, (laughs) you know, and, and really then trying to pull you in, in negative ways, because those work better at that time. You know, if they, if they try to pull you in, in positive ways, like you'll just be done a half an hour early and you'll be thrilled. Um, It's pulling you in in negative ways because also nighttime is the longest separation that parents and kids have. We think about, you know, dropping off at, at daycare or visit with grandma or whatever as separations, but so is nighttime. And so that's when the connectedness needs to be really high. And it's right when parents, if bedtime is at 7.30, right around 6.30, parents check out. And kids feel that. And so my recommendation is always like, you have to, it's like the summit dash or like that final mile. Like you have to really step it up. If anything, give yourself a break and do something nice for yourself in the late afternoon, you know, or if you're waiting till 7.30 to finally sit down and eat, eat, you know, like have a snack, have food, like take care of yourself in the late afternoon so that you can really connect with your child right before bedtime, have it be structured, have it be ritualized, um, but have it be really tuned in. And then if it's tuned in, you will find that it will go that much 
smoother because your kid doesn't feel like you're already disappearing and you don't feel like you're counting down till this moment that you can finally give yourself what you need because you've already been meeting your needs. Yeah. And you're also not feeling like a bad parent for wanting to check out. So you're actually just being so fully present in the moment saying, wow, we had a beautiful day. Let's do a couple more things. And then you could part ways in a completely different way rather than like, oh, like just, you know. Right. Like the number of moms that come into my office and say like, I just, it's 7.30, I can finally talk to my husband or I can finally have a glass of wine or I can find, and it's like, right. Like, but imagine what that feels like to your kid. Like those are not things to feel guilty about. Just like if you're a drinker and I, no judgment either way, like have your glass of wine at 6.30, like have it with your kid, you know, like talk to your husband, like allow your kid to have a little bit of screen time so that you can connect to your partner and it's not all about bedtime with a capital B as being like this incredibly high pressure, high stakes time, which just puts everybody on edge, child, parent, marriage, whatever, you know, um, and just as a recipe for it not going well. Yeah. Right. I know for me, um, bedtime was a real, my, my daughter in particular was a really awful sleeper. And so it even probably until a year or so ago, I finally kind of let go of that need on my end for the structure. Like I was so obsessed with a structure, right. like bath starts now, this happens, this happens, this happens. And you know, they're, they're, they were happy being home and wanting to like wrestle in the hallway and I would get so mad. And then I finally, like a year or so ago, I would just be like, you know, after saying, you know, two, three times, like get your jammies on, I would just like be like, I'm just going to go lay down on my bed for a minute. (laughs) And like, I would let them. And then after, you know, I calmed myself down a little bit, I'd go and approach it again and they would listen. But like when I was like in that agitated state, they're like, they're agitated too. Because they pick it up from you. They show it a different way. But once I started doing that, I know that for all of us, the bedtime has has relaxed a lot more. So I wish that I had started doing that way earlier. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's so important. Mine are five and nine now, so. Yeah, no, but even, but that's not, I mean, and, and just hearing you use the word obsessed, I mean, it's like one of those flag words, like, like once you can recognize that you're obsessed about something or that you're super, you know, or that your blood pressure goes up just thinking about something, like that's a sign that like this is on you. Not to say that it's on you in any way that should make you feel guilty, but just to say like, your kids are little, like they're going to take their cues from you. It's up to you to kind of make that shift. Sometimes I've even said as much, you know, cause parents will say, you know, bedtime is at seven 30 and at least until eight, like my kid is coming out of their room and like, you know, and asking for water and their stuffed animal, whatever. And there are absolutely times we need to curb that in a very structured way and a very behavioral concrete way. And there's other times where I will say to parents, especially parents that haven't necessarily seen their kids all day long or whatever, like, what if you just said to yourself that bedtime is at eight, that you know that you know that you're putting them in bed at 7:30, and you know for the next 30 minutes there's gonna be like 20 requests, but like that if you just go with them by eight, it'll be done. You know, and just shifting that expectation can do amazing things right. for making it. Yeah, right. and I think I, I mean you would know more, but I think thinking about kids and if they know they're fully supported, you know, for those 20 requests, that they will think the world is that way as well where they will feel supported and not neglected and shut down. And um, I'm sure that takes a toll on their personalities as they grow up too. When you give them that loving attention, not like overly, you know, like giving into like all of their things, but just giving them that presence, you know, that love that just listening to them. Right. For sure. For sure. And if you're not going to be able to meet, you know, it's also like, it's time to go to sleep. No, no, no. I want to stay up. I want to stay up and being able to say like, I know you want to stay up. Like I remember being little and really wanting to stay up. You think there's crazy fun things happening. And I get that. First of all, there's not like dad and I are about to pass out. (laughs) Second of all, second of all, it's like, I can, one of the biggest messages that I convey to parents is that, um, there's often this real misconception that like you can either like be touchy feely and loving and like give in to all their requests, um, but that you if you're doing that you can't possibly set a limit. 
Or if you're setting a limit, you really have to like toe the line and be really firm and like you can't possibly be loving at the same time. And the fact is like one of the most life-changing things is when you realize there's this huge gray area and you can be incredibly loving and set a limit at the same time. You can say, sweetie, I know how much you don't want to go to bed. Like squeeze my hand and show me how frustrated you are. Like, let me tell you about how I still remember when I was five and my parents had a dinner party and I wasn't allowed to show off my new nightgown. Like it was so upsetting. And you have to go to bed. (laughs) You know, like both of those things are true. None of this means you get to stay up till midnight. And none of this means that I'm angry at you. It's like, I love you. I understand you. And you still have to go to bed. And both of those things have to be there at the same time, the love and the limits, as you know, because you read my mission statement. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, thank you. That's such good information. And um, oh, I wish that I had that much sooner, but that's okay. That's why we're sharing it now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, um, so can we talk, you know, we talked a little bit about the bedtime stuff, which kind of involves listening. Um, do you have any, like, I know my kids are kind of in the heat of like sibling rivalry. Do you have any, um, suggestions for ways of connecting? Cause I feel like a lot of times with my kids, the sibling rivalry, or like when I say that it's kind of like them just fighting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to me, it's kind of like they're using a a negative activity to get my attention. So do you have any suggestions on having that connection? You know, like, cause I'm, I'm a single parent. So I'm usually with both of them. I rarely get that one-on-one time. So do you have any suggestions on trying to get those that get that connection with them to minimize the, the constant fighting? Yeah. Um, Sibling rivalry is hard. One of the things that doesn't get enough attention is just how complicated sibling relationships are. Like, it's just what, like, because in some ways, I mean, siblings are your best friends and your biggest rivals. Like, by definition, you know, if the number one thing that you want, as you said, is like love and connectedness with mom or with dad or whoever, you know, then by definition, this person is is in your way <laughs> to getting that. And so, you know, part of it, I think, is just recognizing it for, for being a natural and, and okay thing. But there are some, there are some things you can do. Um, the first is even if you can't spend one-on-one time with your kids, you can really let them know how individually important they are to you. So, you know, I, I, I've worked with families who will say things very well-intentioned to their kids like you know oh come on you're like I love you both the same like you know that like I love you both the same like and that just doesn't feel that great you know if I said like you know Maya and Michaela you both seem great like I like you both you're what you know that's really different from saying like you know Michaela you have such a calm way about you and like your you know even tone of voice is so soothing as we do this and Maya your smile is just like delightful and you know you you can say to two people that are right in front of you like I really appreciate each of the things that you're bringing to the table and I think that's something we don't do enough as parents. And it doesn't have to be like, let's sit down and let me tell you in this very thought. It can be just across the room, like, hey, I saw you just, you know, pick up your toys without my even asking. Like, I love the way you're doing that these days. That makes me so happy, you know? And when you kiss them each good night, you know, that you're telling them three times during the day, I talked, I do this a lot with families, like three times during the day that you thought about them. Like not just your kids in general and not your family in general. And it's specific, right? So it's not like, you know, I thought about how nice you are. Like, okay, that's nice. But it's like, you know, I was eating pizza and the oil dripped down my chin. And I remembered when you were five and you were eating spaghetti and you got it all over your face and we all laughed. And I thought about that at lunch and it just like made me crack up, you know. And then if you can tell them three things like that during the day, first of all, if you start doing that, you'll start actually feeling that way three times during the day. And so it's a cycle that's a really nice positive thing to put in place. But then they start to feel like, okay, my mom sees me. My mom doesn't just see like, you know, me and my brother or me and my sister and we're just two kids. It's like my mom sees me. Um, 
And I think you can do that with little post-it notes. Um, you know, your kids are old enough that like they can read. So like a little note, you know, a little separate individual post-it note on each of their pillows um, that, you know, can, or like in their lunch boxes or whatever can be great. Um, I think with siblings, a lot of times it's explaining that um, it's, it's tuning in to, to, again, what they each need. So for example, what comes up a lot with families I work with is um, like, that's not fair. She got more, you know, or like, like you're serving something, let's say at breakfast, you're serving pancakes and it's like, you know, oh, his is bigger than mine. You know, so instead of like, <laughs> I'm familiar, instead of like engaging in that, you know, and being like, oh, come on, you know, like they're both the same. We're like, fine, you want this one? I'll switch it, you know, yeah. to say like, oh, are you, are you hungry? Like, oh, oh do, do you want more? You know, so, so you're just, it's the compare, you're not engaging in the comparison. You're engaging in like, oh, do you need something? Um, is another way to kind of help mm -hmm. with those interactions. Yeah, um, awesome. That's super helpful. Thank you. I'm so glad. You're welcome. And the other thing I would say, I'm sorry, just one more point on that, is that even if you can't spend, because you're a single parent or even just a busy, you know, whatever, there's a million reasons we all can't spend quality one-on-one -on -one time with each of our kids. Five minutes a day. Like literally, like you can, especially, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know your thoughts on screen time and whatever, but I often say like, if you're a single parent, kids love screen time and they love one-on-one -on -one time with mom. So like for 20 minutes in the evenings, for 10 minutes, put one in front of the iPad and spend 10 minutes with the other and then switch it. And then you just yeah. know, and, and, and you're in a different room and you just know that you're going to get 10 minutes of like connected time with each of your kids. They might tell you something that they wouldn't say if their sibling was there. Like, and that's, you know, that's a way to do it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank it's you. Really sure. So sure. yeah, what I got from that is like reframing how you would react to things almost, you know, and to not be so overreactive and to just kind of bring it down a little bit, you know, but my mom, um, you know, and she would always say, like, I love you guys both so equally. And it's like, we, we aren't loved the same. Like, right. it's, like, you could see it, you know, and it's not that one is loved more than the other. It's just differently. And I think um, it's a beautiful way to put it is like, what do you love about that individual? Because we are individuals, you know, we are different. And we're not, we can't be compared to even our brothers or sisters, even though we are blood. And, you know, like, you know, I think maybe if we were praised for what we are good at, we would just be so much better at that. And it starts like at the family, you know, in the family. Or, or just to call the relationship like it is to be like, you know, to one kid to be like, nobody gets under my skin the way you do. Like you yeah. make me crazy <laughs> and, yeah. and you get me more than most people because we're so similar you know? And so like, that means the world to me, you know? And then to your other kid, you say like, I really appreciate how even cute cool you are, you know? And that like you and I can relate, like we barely ever argue. And that's so meaningful to me because it helps me stay calm. Like if you think about that, those are two describing two very different relationships and how meaningful each one is to you um, and, and helpful within the family. Um, and it's calling it like it is. I mean, one of the things that's, that's, that's hard for kids is when there's this like elephant in the room. It's like, no, you don't love us equally. Like you're always screaming at him and you're always, you know, it's, and then it's like, you're right. And, and here's how the relationships are different. And let's just talk about that and be open about that, which obviously gets easier as kids get older. Um, you're not going to have these discussions with little ones, but you can show through gestures and hugs and simple language and yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to cover a little something about, you know, being a single mom, both Maya and I are single moms, we have different situations as far as like relationships with our exes. Um, and there are a lot of moms who are single moms, um, you know, within our group. So it is a general question, but how can you best support your child, whether the father, like in my case, her father's in her life, maybe once a week, you know, and mm -hmm. I try not to talk badly. I try to keep this like very positive thing going on. Um, and it's different situations for everybody else. But like, how can I support her best in her like adult life to, to, to view men in a positive light as well? Um, I didn't grow up with a father either. And I could see, you know, in my teenage years and in my 20s, how that affected me. Mm. Um, 
And I kind of want to be more mindful about like how I am, um, you know, just bringing her up. And if I do, you know, end up in a relationship, like, and I don't know, there's many questions in there, but like, if you could pull something from there and um, just give some advice to single moms and how to parent. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, nothing to do with the ex, but as a single mom, and you guys have clearly done this, like find your people, you know, find your village. Um, you cannot do, none of us can do it on our own. And even those of us who are in partnerships, it's not just you and your partner. It's you and your partner and your girlfriends and your parents and your, you know, so it's, it's really making sure that especially as a single parent, you are using support and asking for support and knowing that not everybody needs support in the same ways at the same time. My favorite t-shirt I saw in Central Park a couple of years ago, it said something like, um, at least we're not all crazy on the same day. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> and, right. And that's, and that was sort of like, right. Like that's what we have to do as parents, you know, like have, find other single moms in your community if you can and, and, and sort of shift and trade off. So that's, I know that's not exactly what you were asking, but I think it's an important point worth emphasizing. Um, I think you're absolutely right to, you know, not speak badly about your ex. Um, and kids also know when you're being authentic. Um, so if you are like Pollyanna, like, oh, he's the best. Your daddy's coming over. He's so amazing. You know, like sooner or later, they're going to sort of see through that and also get old enough to ask like, okay, if he's that awesome, <laughs> you know, why aren't? Why didn't it work out? And so I think just being really honest as you get older, not, I always say you cannot go wrong if you are both honest and developmentally appropriate, right? So of course you're not going to share with your three-year-old like all the intricacies of why you didn't end up with, you know, their father. But you can say, um, you know, that, that, that the way that families come into existence is different and complicated and... Um, your family ended up really working better with mommy and daddy not living together. Um, you can make a book for your kid about your particular family and like what the journey was. You can make a book particularly, you know, we're lucky enough to be living in an era where there are so many different kinds of families. Um, there are families with one parent, two parents, three parents, four parents, dads, moms, different races, you know, and so it's a lot less stigmatizing in some ways um, for kids to grow up being like, this is my family. And so just sort of talking about how your family's taken shape and then to the extent possible, and it's really different in different situations, but trying to co-parent, you know, like really trying to, um, I don't want to say get on the same page because that can be so difficult and so complicated, but at least recognizing like you, you are both raising this child to the, if you have, if you have the, your ex still in your life, even if it's minimally like that, you're, you're both doing this. And so to the extent that you can be collaborative, it's going to benefit everyone. Um, I don't know if that's helpful. It's very general. The situations are so different, but it is, it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much share, for sharing all your, your insights. My pleasure. Um, we would love to hear, um, m the question that we have is like your success story with a client, but I'm, I'm thinking that maybe it's more, maybe is it a fam, would it be more of like a family that you work with, um, or something like that, that you had kind of a shift in, in their lives where, where they're parenting and their relationship with their kiddo improved? Yeah, no, for sure. I, I work with families. And in some ways, I've already referenced so many of them just without, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to reference names, but you right. know, talking about the bedtime stuff that we talked about and whatever, I've had a lot of successes with families there. Um, I think, you know, a family that stands out is a family where um, mom was just so anxious. Um, she was just so anxious and didn't really recognize, it's sort of like when you were saying before about being obsessed, um, but didn't realize, you know, didn't realize she was obsessed. And so she would come into my office and talk about how her kid was having these really awful meltdowns at drop off um, to preschool 
preschool or day, I think it was preschool. And you could just tell how hardened she was to it. You could say, you could tell that at the beginning, it really, really um, had been upsetting to her and it had been happening so long and she felt like she had done everything that now she was just so irritated. Like she was just so irritated by the fact that every time she would bring her son to daycare, he would absolutely lose his mind. And sure enough, after she left for five minutes, you know, he'd be fine. And she really just didn't know what was happening. And as she talked about it, I could just tell how agitated she was and how irritated she was. And so I had her really slow down um, and really like feel into her body, um, which is like one of those jargony, shrinky things to say, <laughs> but basically like, you know, put her feet on the ground, take some deep breaths, put her hands on her lap, like really sort of come back to her center. Um, and I had her do two things. The first was I had her think about like when her son was first born and when she first held him and like what he smelled like, you know, and when she nuzzled and just getting her to realize like this was the same kid. Um, really, you could see this shift of like, oh, this is my, like, this is my baby. You know, like you forget sometimes when your kids enter that age of like just being so difficult or defiant or whatever. It's so beautiful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and so you could see she just relaxed and she was like, you know, this is, like, this is my munchkin. This is, you know, and then I also had her think about, you know, what separations were like for her when she was younger. Mm -hmm. um, and she was able to access in a way that she hadn't before um, that she had, she was parented in a way that was pretty inconsistent. You know, like her mom had some real mood issues and so was sometimes there for her and sometimes not. And this whole idea of separation in the first place was so anxiety provoking for her that she had just kind of shut down. Um, and through doing both of those exercises over the courses or the course of a couple of weeks and really kind of getting at like helping her work through some of her own childhood stuff and helping her like her quote unquote homework was just to like play with her son for five minutes a day. Like she came in wanting to know like, what, what do I do at drop off? And it turned out that there wasn't a lot to do at drop off until we kind of did this other work. Um, and then slowly what was so cool about it, what happened so much with my clients is like, then she knew what to do at drop off. And it wasn't even like, quote unquote, what to do. It was just a way to be like she, once she figured out kind of all the stuff that had been going on for her and also felt just more connected to her kid and more empathic to what he was going through she could really be present at drop off and she could really just like give him a hug and say from an authentic and grounded place, like, sweetie, you got this. Like I got this. I'm coming back. You know, it wasn't just the words like I'll be back. You know, I'll be back. Like every, you know, it was like, I, I will be back. I love you. I want you to have a great day. You are going to be in my heart. Um, and the kid would run off and play. And, and so sure enough, like, and I don't even think, I'm just, let me make sure I'm being accurate about this. Yeah, I don't think, I think I, I, I met that kid once, like I watched an observation of them once, and then I didn't do anything with this kid. Um, it was all through working with this mom um, and watching her. And, and there was a dad in this particular family, but he hadn't been involved in drop-off. So I didn't end up, I met him, but didn't do work with him. And there was such a shift. And then this kid was able to like really, con I mean, it, it's similar a little bit to the bedtime stuff, but like really connect with mom before separating and then go off and play and have a great time at preschool, which is what, which is what we want. And, and what was also cool is like a couple of, a couple months down the road, mom got in touch with me because she and her husband were going on their first trip away from the kids for like five days or something for her birthday, whatever, I forget what it was. Um, and she said to me, like, because she now had this foresight, she was like, I know this is going to be hard for me. Like, what can we do to pre, you know, what are the things we can do in advance? Be like, how can I make saying goodbye to my son? And like, while I'm away, easier for me, easier for him. And so again, there's incredible power in this ability to anticipate once you know your own stuff a little more, seeing things coming down the pike that you would otherwise be too anxious and agitated to even look at and therefore be very reactive and agitated and frustrated when they come around. Um, you can plan for and be thoughtful and be mindful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the story. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, having that awareness of your own stuff when parenting is huge. Huge, huge. And something that I, you know, you know have definitely learned along, along the way, but just a recurring theme. Yeah, there's a lot of baggage we, we carry with us as we, you know, especially when you become a mother, um, something I read in Conscious Parenting, the book, is how your child kind of represents like almost like that inner child that you need to work on. Mm. So it's almost a mirror of like, why is this, you know, coming up every day or at this time? And like you said, it was the, the separation, like, you know, and she felt separated from her mom and, and things like that. And her moods were, you know, swinging. And so, yeah, just being conscious of your, your own stuff and um, can heal your kids. Like that's, that's pretty huge. Yeah. It is huge. It is huge. <laughs> yeah. And when you see it in action, as it sounds like you guys have both, and, and you see it in yourself too, when you become aware, as you said, and I certainly still do. It's, it's mind blowing. And there'll probably be so many different things. It's not just one thing. So, you know, it's not like oh, you no. do one. <laughs> oh, yeah. I recognize that this happened at this age there, you know, and there'll be other things because, you know, you're just kind of like peeling those layers and, but you're, you'll be more authentic. You'll be more you. You'll be more free from those things because you shed light on it, I think. Exactly. And you start to recognize the feeling. Like, again, not to harp on this, Maya, but for you, it was like that word obsessed. So you'll know in the future, like when you're like, I think I'm feeling that like obsession thing. There's a great um, slogan from the 12-step world, actually, um, that's um, if, if you're hysterical, it's historical, Right. Um, and so this idea of like, okay, I don't, I don't know what, what's going on for me, but I recognize that, that I'm having a disproportionate reaction, you know, like some, there's something about the way my kid is like throwing his noodles on the floor that is like way bigger than the actual noodles, because I feel like I want to like throw them through a window. And really he's just taking some butter noodles and putting them on the floor, you know, like, and so you start to recognize, even if you don't have the awareness yet of what the thing is, you start being more tuned into what your own feelings and bodily sensations are that cue you to knowing that, oh, this is an area I have to look at a little more deeply. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Love yes. that. They're always you. teaching us these kids. That is true. That is true. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing that the book said is you think you're teaching your kids but your kids are actually teaching you a lot more than your, because you're just teaching them the basic things that they'll pick up anyway, you know, but you're, they're teaching you a lot more in like inner work that, that you except that where I would differ with that just a tiny bit is except that if what you end up kids, especially at the really young ages, they learn by modeling. I mean, they, they learn, they're pick, as you just said, they pick up on everything. So if you are modeling wait, how am I feeling right now? And what's this about? And how do I want to respond in a thoughtful way? Or like Maya, in the case you gave in the very beginning, like how am I modeling like that I'm getting frustrated and so I'm going to go to my room and like lie down. and Like they are actually learning that they can be that way in the world, yeah. which is extraordinary. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. that's something that we talk a lot about in our group is like we had a self-care challenge last week and, and it's like by taking care of yourself, you're modeling that right. behavior for your kids. So it is, it's, you know, you're, it's more than like the, the words that you're saying, but it's a lot of the actions that you're doing as well. Absolutely. It's mostly the actions. I mean, I, you know, I'm busy. We, you know, we run this business. I have a social life and Sometimes like I, I really never have the time to go to a yoga class, but am I not going to take it? I literally, she eats in the morning. I pull out my yoga mat. She's like giggling at me and I'm doing yoga. She's watching TV and that works. Like that's mm -hmm. my yoga class. Great. Right. You know? Yeah. That's, <laughs> and, that's perfect. And she knows that like, that's what mommy has to do. She doesn't bother me. I've done it ever since she was born. I've done it when she was in my belly, you know? Yeah. So like, it's a normal thing. It's not like mommy needs to get away from you to do this private, to do this thing, right. to feel better because you can just, you could just include them and mm -hmm. find different ways. And sometimes it looks different every day and that's okay. You know, like maybe not as quiet as you'd like, but you still, it's not, it's not an excuse, you know, absolutely to take care of yourself. So talking about self-care and, and modeling um, self-care to your kids, can you share with us your three self-care rituals that just, are your non-negotiable? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a few. So Thursday afternoons, 
Um, I have none. I have, I do yoga and I have my own therapy mm-hmm. and like, I just don't schedule any work, any supermarket, any house, but like Thursday afternoons are my sacred time. Um, and that's something that I started relatively recently because I, it's interesting what you said, Michaela, about needing it to look different. Like I was trying to just like do each of them in kind of a haphazard way and at a different time each week. And then I realized like what I needed was the same, like I needed the predictability, like part of the self-care was the predictability of it. And it was going to be Thursday afternoons. And then I would just, and I'd be much better able to set a boundary if I knew, if, if that was set. Um, so that's important to me. Um, I also, and this is, I think it's important when we define self-care to know that self-care means different things to different people and to define it broadly. For me, one of the biggest self-care things that I do is I sing in the car. <laughs> like I just blast mute, you know, because I drive, I live in the suburbs and so I'm like freak, I'm at least in the car, you know, a couple times a day. And like, I don't listen to the news and I don't, you know, it's like, I'll just put on like whatever, like 80s on eight or <laughs> like something on serious and I'll just, and I'll blast music. And there have been times that I've been with my kids um, and that's still important for me to do, you know, that like the, and, and they don't want to listen to music or whatever. And I'll be like, mommy needs to do this. Like mommy feels so great when she can just belt, you know, I was a singer when I was younger and I, it's a big part of my identity. And even though keeping it alive by singing in the car is a very small piece of what it once was, it feels important. So that's a big one for me. And then the third self-care ritual I would say is a, is a much more common one, but important one, which is really um, sleep. Um, and my kids are my, you reference this, neither of my kids are great sleepers, um, which I share with my clients in terms of like, I'm an expert on a lot of this stuff. And sometimes you get what you get. As my son says, you get what you get and you don't get upset, right? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're not great sleepers, which means they're up every morning ridiculously early. And I will, not quite as often as I would like, but certainly um, a few times a week, just make sure to go to bed early. Um, And it's so easy not to. Like, it's so easy to get sucked into, you know, more time with my husband, which is the more adaptive side of things. Also, just like scrolling on Instagram or what, you know, and it's really being disciplined because I know myself and I know I need sleep and prioritizing that. And also doing what you preach to your kids saying, you know, there's, there's lots of fun things out there, but you need sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That whole mo- that modeling piece. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so we talked a little bit about your book that's coming out in October. Do you have a book that you are reading now or a book that you recommend um, to our listeners? So it's funny when you emailed me that question, I was like, I had this moment because we all of like shame of because like, I'm not reading a book. I haven't read a book in a long, like I haven't read a non-work related book in a while. And I was like, I'm not going to tell them that. And then I was like, no, it's all about like, we're all allowed to do our own way and like come out and no shame. So no, I am not reading a book. Um, I finally got myself a book to read the last time we went on vacation and I read one page of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I can do is recommend, I mean, there's, the books that I have read recently are, are parenting books because that's what I do. And I certainly, if people haven't read um, Parenting from the Inside Out, um, which is a book by Dan Siegel, um, I think that's a seminal, foundational piece of art, frankly, mm-hmm. um, that, that really gets at kind of what one of the themes of this conversation has been, which is how important it is to know your own stuff. And I now recommend it to families um, and friends, even like when they're pregnant, you know, or expecting just to plant those seeds of the concept. Um, And it's a very accessible book. And each chapter at the end has some science. I think it's at the end. It's at the end of the beginning, but whatever it is, it's, it's separate, which can be nice because even if you're a science geek, which I can be a little bit like you don't want to, deal with it all the time. And so it's nice that it's sort of sectioned off. Um, I just think, yeah, it's a terrific book. Fun. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, to conclude this amazing interview, I mean, I could ask you questions for hours, (laughs) (laughs) but can you share with us three things that you're uh, most recently grateful for? 
Um, yeah, I mean, that speak, I mean, I could name like 3000 things, but I, you know, it's, um, I am grateful for, um, for my husband who is an incredible partner and particularly that he, he was the one who really pushed me to write my book. And I feel really proud of my book and really, um, excited by the idea that I wrote a book and, and I don't want to say that I owe that to him because I don't, I owe that to me. Um, but he, he was the one who said, we're going to, we're going to do it. If you want to do it, we're going to do it. Um, and we're going to make it work. And so I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful to my little guys cause they're just the friggin' best. Um, Henry is four. Henry just turned four and Zeke, um, is two and, Henry, I guess if I have to make it more specific, last week, as you know, Michaela, we were all sick, <laughs> except Henry. Henry was, my four-year-old wasn't sick and it was his birthday and we had to postpone his birthday party, which was on Saturday because the rest of us had fevers. Um, and I, you know, went about it like so thoughtfully and consciously and gently and like, all, you know, and I just still expected him to really fully meltdown and I would have been completely understanding and he, and he didn't. And he really was a champ and um, doesn't change how grateful I am for him. Cause I am grateful for him, even if he's a tantruming slobbering mess on the floor, but it, it really made me stop and think about what an amazing kiddo he is, which is not to underplay his little brother, but again, in the theme of just, it's okay to recognize an individual thing once in a while. And then the third thing I would say is in this community that I'm in, in Dobbs Ferry in Westchester, I just have, we have an amazing group of um, families with young kids that we call the commune. <laughs> and it's, ju we're just always um, helping each other out. So like when my husband was really sick this past weekend, we went to the aquarium together and I was the mom who didn't have a partner there and everybody else just kind of stepped up. And it's sort of, like I said before, creating your community, creating your village. Um, and, and that's something that I'm grateful for every day that we landed here with these, with these amazing friends and, and people and neighbors. Yeah. Uh, the community is, is huge. And just one little thought is like, we're, we all think we're so connected because we're all, you know, can text and this and that. But in reality, what I see is like so much disconnection. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, come together like I have a neighbor who I can stop in and drop my daughter off for an hour a week or something like that like you just have to ask you know yeah. and like see where you need that space for yourself and um and like give yourself permission for that space you know you don't have to do it all so yeah so thank you so much Rebecca for you know joining us on this beautiful journey my pleasure and this was really it was really wonderful to speak with you both all right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Love Yourself to Happiness show. If you like what you heard and you're interested to see if you're a fit to work with us, here's what to do next. Head over to mayaandmikayla.com forward slash apply. That's mayaandmikayla.com forward slash apply and book an appointment to speak with our team. We will get you on a call for about 45 minutes and we will work with you to craft a step-by-step -step game plan to up-level your lifestyle, mindset, career, and relationships and help you fill your cup so that you can be the best version of yourself. And we will get you clarity on three things. Number one, we will help you see what mindset shifts need to be made in your life. Number two, you will learn how to create a schedule so that your schedule can support your goals. And three, how to take action, take your life to the next level, and thrive. We look forward to talking to you soon.